Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vobis Dude podcast. We're here today with Camille Rivera. She's a conservationist. She's a diver. She's a scientist. And she's also my friend. So uh, Camille, I'm sure I missed quite a bit in that introduction. Say hello. Introduce yourself. Hello, I am Camille. And well, I think it's all complete except yeah, you know, I'm from the Philippines <laughs> and Michael and I met in actually the Philippines when we were filming about the mangroves and about the community that I worked with a year ago. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you back. Just for reference, where are you currently speaking from and what time is it over there? I am in, okay, I am back in my place in mm -hmm. Cagayan de Oro. So I'm from Mindanao and it's actually 2 p.m. So I'm six hours ahead i think at your time it's quite rainy and it's a we have only two monsoon like we have two monsoons so one is a dry season and a wet season so this is the mm -hmm. time of rainy you know season in the philippines it's, it's always rainy over here in germany it's just cold and wet and maybe where you are it's it's more humid and wet i thought it's summertime there like it's, it's no, it's already September. Yeah, autumn autumn creeps up. Oh. We get very few summer months out here. I wanted to jump into into mangrove. Could you describe maybe your history with it and your fascination, how it built up, and how you discovered this ecosystem? Well, back in my previous bachelor studies in um, the university, I already know this ecosystem. But what I hate the most, this ecosystem, is because when you step into the mud and then you remove your feet out from the mud, you smell all this organic stuff, smelling egg rotten <laughs> smell. <laughs> it's basically, that is my description of a mangrove. That's a mangrove ecosystem. It's very organic, rich nutrient. I did not expect to actually work with mangroves because I was more fascinated on oceanography. So it was, it, I went to the field when I trained in Helgoland in Germany. It was more on oceanographic stuff. So I was more interested in remote sensing. I was interested in ecosystem modeling, but I wasn't good at it. So when I have to come back to the Philippines, you have to be good at the job to be able to find a work for it. So I think that was a challenging part of, of my life because I couldn't find a job at that time. When I actually then fast forward a year after, I worked with the organization Marine Conservation Philippines. And basically my work was based on educating communities and school children and local, um, local awareness about marine life. That time we were thinking about how to really make an impact because with school kids, it's really hard to make an impact because, you know, they have different subjects. They have math, they have English, you know, it's not really focused on marine life. So you are going to be able to impact other people when they are depend or they depend on the ecosystem. So the people that you can work with is actually the local communities or the coastal communities or the forest dependent communities. So I moved to that and then I met this association. The time that I actually really got fascinated is when we went into the river, we got this small fisherman boat that we borrowed and with a community leader, we were just going into the river, taking photos. So my my project that time was just to take photos of the leaves, the roots, the trunk, and the flowers. And we're supposed to actually just ID 
or identify all the mangroves in the river and everywhere. It's just a 37 hectare, you know, it's not that big. It's, you can just go around. That is the time, like when I basically found out there's so many diverse species, I got so excited. But I don't know any, I'm not a botanist, I'm not a very specific mangrove specialist. So I learned, I learned everything from scratch. So I have to read papers, I have to check all the ID that's specific from the Philippines and checking all these flowers, um, when are they flowering, when are they seeding, and basically I learned to love mangroves. It's yeah. only that time, only like 2018, it wasn't that even early on. Then I learned all this blue carbon stuff and how it's good for climate and how it is also important for the communities, and that's where we talked about in the document documentary. I mean, I was the, that was the turning point of me fascinated with mangroves and not the smell anymore you know i didn't hate the smell anymore i don't mind going into the mud anymore <laughs> so basically we filmed the interaction between the mangroves and the local the local ecosystem but also the community at large in the area uh, for the people listening in general what are some important factors for mangroves contributing to climate change protection maybe we can go globally and then specifically within the philippines before they really didn't see mangroves as an important ecosystem for climate change it was only five years ago during the paris agreement 2015 that they found out that the carbon that is stored below the below the ground of the mangroves can actually sequester so much carbon from the atmosphere. So they found out that all the wetlands, for example, your uh, mangroves, your seagrass, your salt marsh, peatlands, they are a big contributor to mitigate climate change. So with the increasing of carbon dioxide, these are also trees. These are also plants, right? They absorb carbon dioxide and releases oxygen. So they have carbon dioxide stored in their trunk, in their, in their leaves. But at the same time, these wetlands that are called, you know, uh, submerged in the water, they are, uh, they store the carbon under the ground. So basically they are very critical for mitigating climate change. In fact, like if we go very deep into Philippines, we always get typhoons, average 18 to 20 typhoons a year. So in the Pacific or islands that face the Pacific are always very vulnerable with typhoons. So the mangroves actually are really huge and are very uh, adapted to the water, adapted to storm surge, adapted to waves and all that. So when they get, get hit by typhoon, they basically can still survive. Some of them won't survive, of course, if it's really like a big typhoon, but they are very important for protecting the communities behind that, uh, that lives behind the mangroves. So they're good protecting as a shoreline protection. They are also good for storing carbon. Basically, there's an organization that checks on the storage of carbon and they are four times more that can store carbon compared to your terrestrial forest. So they're very, very important. And then you also have some fisheries. A lot of these mangroves have roots that are very diverse. And so all these juvenile fish in their life cycle as a fish, they go to these roots to hide from predators. They also move to seagrass to hide from predators before they actually go to the coral reef. Because coral reef is a huge ecosystem where you all mm -hmm. have those big predators. So all this juvenile actually stay 
in the seagrass and stay also in the mangrove area. So they're very important as your nursery habitat for um, livelihood, for increasing fish in the area. I feel like mangroves don't get the attention that coral reefs get. Like coral reefs have all the documentaries made. They have, yeah. they're, they're also, I guess, very visually appealing, of course, very beautiful. Again, like they are very colorful. People mm -hmm. want to dive into the coral reef ecosystem. People want to dive into seagrass. <laughs> People don't want to be in the mud. <laughs> so that was the one thing that, you know, I think people don't want to do, like, especially in a tropical area. But mm -hmm. around the world, there are mangroves that are under the water and are so clear. I've seen photos of them. People don't just want to, you know, it's for them, it's like, oh, these are roots. Like, what can you see in here? But there are so many, like, beautiful things like birds and wildlife. And it's crazy how it's not so focused on but now it's 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 growing basically mm -hmm. mangrove conservation the whole world is is growing because of how it is important for climate change the thing that that helped a risk averse person like me to get into the mangroves was something as simple as a boardwalk or even a boat you know that way i don't have to i didn't have to physically be in that much mud when i was in the philippines for the people listening we went to a kind of mangrove forest conservation area and it's it's in if i I'm saying this correctly, Saiton? Siaton. Siaton, yeah, Siaton Forest. Uh, basically, there was a really nice boardwalk there, so it was very easy for me and I'm sure other visitors um, to walk through the forest, get get a lot of it, but not maybe get the parts that would turn them off from, from the mangroves, like the mud. I mean, of course, the, there's humidity and mosquitoes, but that's sort of part of the experience. Yeah, like it's, I think it's, um, it will be nice if people actually just go through the forest and going through, like, we were not able to actually go to the river. That was my idea. Was, Let's go to the river. But, you know, we couldn't find like the small fisherman's boat. So we we're not able to actually go inside. But it's, it's really beautiful. I think um, what I'm dreaming is to actually go to the Sundarban, which is the biggest mangrove in the world. It's in India slash Bangladesh area okay. uh, where you see all these Bengal tigers, all these huge like wildlife uh, birds and all that. I think that will excite me the most actually. <laughs> okay, yeah, very cool. Um, I, you mentioned fishermen uh, a little bit, but before we jump into the local communities, yeah, I wanted to ask about typhoons since we don't experience that many in Germany, but how do you prepare for one just like in the mangroves or in the city? We have four levels of uh, typhoon intensity. When it increases with the um, intensity, then it will become level one, level two, three, and four. There's a five, but it's intense. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, there is already a system in the Philippines wherein they show the Filipinos. So the local Filipinos sometimes don't understand um, how to gauge when is the level one, when is the level two, because it's all by kilometers per hour, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's the intensity and the movement. So they basically then just, I saw this poster one time and they say like, level one, the, the trees are swaying. It's very simple, understandable description of how we will know that's a level one, level two or level three. Um, we also have news. Basically, they will just say a local um, tropical depression, it's moving to tropical storm. All the local communities that are near the water, please go in higher areas or they go to, uh, so each area has, or each city, for example, has their own um, emergency evacuation center. 
-hmm. So they will have to go there in case of floods, in case of storm surge. So those are like all those words, storm surge, they don't understand that. So it has to be really uh, understood by the yeah. local, what it means. And we have to show pictures. It's all very visual. And and I think, yeah, that's... that's. Do you like board up your windows or make preparations around the building, things like this? So when, yeah, so when they say um, there will be a typhoon level two, we already know it from Pacific. So from the Pacific side, it's already going to us. They will already model where it will going to pass. And they will already tell us like, for example, I'm from Mindanao. We won't get hit. Um, we will always have rain. That's it. So it's usually the Pacific, uh, the Visayas and the Luzon. So it's going up. So the Luzon, for example, if you live in Manila, Metro Manila, they always have floods. So most of the time when it's very near and the intensity is very strong, the government will, al will already say like, okay, we will have no school this week or there's no work this week. So people will have to stay at home. Um, in the areas that is facing the Pacific, the island communities, they will already say just before it arrives to the land, to the Philippines, the government will already put them in the evacuation center. But there are also some individuals who doesn't want to leave their houses. So those are the risks as well. Like it's, yeah, all those precautions. We kind of know it already. I, <laughs> Philippine, <heart>. Philippine <laughs> typhoon life. Yeah. <laughs> I want to jump back to communities and mangroves. Like, how are local people's livelihoods affected by the mangroves? Like, how do they how do they get their livelihoods from the mangroves? The mangroves also have all these shells. The basic food you get there are shells and mm -hmm. the little fish. The government did not stop fishing actually, so that was really good because we don't have any more food for like vulnerable communities. So. They were able to get some in the mangrove areas. Mm. Uh, they collect the shells. They collect some crabs. Crabs are like the main source where you find in the mangrove ecosystem. So it's, it's pretty interesting what they can get there. Have the fish populations either blossomed or suffered during coronavirus times? In some, I would say, these are like just observations from or talking to people lately because I have to do some projects with them. There are, there are still some fish there. Uh, but they saw a lot of illegal nets that were there in the protected areas, for example. Or they saw some nets, you know, because when the pandemic came in the Philippines, you know, everyone has to stop working. Basically, the, the steward or the, what do you call that, the one, the English term? We call it Bandai Dagat. The sea warden, sorry, okay, the sea warden, warden yeah. yes. They are hired by the government. I don't know in some areas, but in some areas, they stopped going out to look out illegal fishers. Okay, so yeah. if there's no looking, if there's no person looking out, these illegal fishers are actually going out as well and they can fish illegally. So, but I don't have any data on like whether it increased, whether it decreased. There's just some instances where they found a lot of illegal nets around the area near the, near the protected areas. Um, yeah, and there were fishing in you know fishing involved, and it's, it's yeah. I think I don't have those data, but I would I wouldn't know if it really increased or, or mm -hmm. decreased. But There's basically nobody yeah. nobody keeping track of this at the moment. Yeah, but I think it's the thing is I if I put myself in their shoes, I I would need some food, right? You, yeah. you like if you're a vulnerable community, 
I need food resource. And I think people will understand. People, if you are working as a sea warden, you look at these people and say like, you know what, they need food. Um, who am I to actually stop that? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what I'm personally think. So I think they, they need they need food at this time. So it's it's basically like the sea warden will probably not stop it. Yeah. Because he can empathize. Empathize, to, yeah. To, yeah, empathize to the person. So that's yeah, that's an interesting part of being a sea warden. Maybe I don't know if we touched touched upon that, but like kind of having to use your judgment. Like you can't always be like, no, these are the rules. You cannot yeah. do this. Um, you you kind of have to realize what these people's needs are and yeah. when it I when think, it might be okay. But I've talked to some sea warden. Um, at first, you know, there's a rule. Like first, um, they do three times. Like first warning, second warning, third warning. So they have those warnings. So if this illegal fisher says, you know, they illegally fish there, there's a first warning. But the first warning doesn't have anything money involved. Like it will be like, okay, you cannot fish here. You should know you cannot fish here. That's just the first warning, something like that. The second warning will be like, you're, you'll get fined. You know, there's there's those dynamics that we give chances to these people to understand that you cannot fish there you're not allowed to fish there even though there are already like signs like you know the the buoys to see that there is a protected area people still don't understand that or they try maybe to avoid to understand it right so they go to the area and still try to fish and you know if someone sees me okay i will say sorry if someone doesn't see see me and then i can still fish something like that they try their they're very risky. They are very risky fishermen. <laughs> they will do some <laughs> just to get fish. Yeah. But but I, I suppose it is very important for them to to because they're of eating course. or selling this fish. Yeah. The bigger the fish, you know, they can really sell so much from it. So I think it's very important really for them to to get it. And I think I I only work with the sea warden in Negros. I haven't mm-hmm. really talked here in Mindanao. It might be different, especially when it's like commercial fishing. That might be different because True. it might be like it's it's a really big intense fishing already compared to municipal fishing, I think. Yeah. I see. And for you personally, has life changed a lot during coronavirus, during the onset of the pandemic? Well, I think when coming here in the Philippines, <laughs> coming here in Mindanao, I was I, I'm more it's a very city life. So I wasn't used to, you know, like the, the noise of the cars and the jeepneys and transportation wise. It's very quiet where I lived in, in Negros. But I think what really kind of changed is the access of education, I would say. Um, I was actually able to do a lot of online courses. So whether or not like, because of course I cannot afford to be outside, to be in Europe and to be anywhere else so basically even if you can afford or not afford you can still access the information in the internet and you can still access the education on the internet and i was really yeah. shocked by this like like you know some people are having problems with like of course their own personal things and baking and stuff and i'm here learning so many things in the internet yeah. so that's what has been like what i'm doing a lot and yeah i don't know with you like it was life change after like no, during when it start started the pandemic. Yeah, I, I'd say for sure it's it's changed a lot. Like there's way less way less going out for me, way less social interaction, at least in person. 
in the beginning, I had a lot of like Skype or Zoom calls with friends that I had, hadn't spoken to in a very long time. So that was, that was actually quite nice. I'm very comfortable with my personal work from home situation. I have a yeah. routine now. I, I can go to bed early like a grandpa, like I, like, like I prefer. <laughs> and and it, doesn't, it doesn't really bother the people that I interact with. So I'd say for the most part, I've been quite fortunate and, and lucky with, with my like job situation and food and, and like living situation. It's, it's not too bad for me. I have, I have the things I need here. I think it's, I would say like, it's so easy for you because like, you know, you, you've been in that, um, you've been used to the work from home and yeah. then you go out to meet your friends. And I think with people like us in the field, in the conservation field, Mm-hmm. Like I've met my friends um, in Zoom calls and, you know, we talked about things like how the diving is, the diving industry. Basically, it all stopped in some areas and they can't okay. dive, but it's now coming back. But it was during the onset was really bad. Like they couldn't dive and they missed uh, the missed beach, the, the nature. Basically, when I came back here in the city, I really miss the nature, the quiet, the birds, the, mm. you know, it's it's. I, I, I'm a nature person, so that I miss the most. And I like, of course, I have friends, but I don't mind being alone as well. I'm, yeah. I'm such a, you know, detached person. I probably can survive longer in an area with, full of nature. And I think that was what I miss the most. But aside from that, I mean, I have the internet to actually kind of like put my mind into, you know, um, doing the organ, the creating the organization, and yeah, and yeah, just trying to focus I think more because internet is now here and I have it and compared yeah. to my previous place where it's so hard to find internet I have to so, go to the to a hill <laughs> so speaking of the internet what types of courses are you taking right now like what are you what are you teaching yourself well now I uh previous I had a project management so mm-hmm. just learning about how to analyze like projects and deal with the people there's one I did leadership course where, you know, as a, as a leader, you need to know your, uh, the people that you work with, how they, how they can be motivated and how you as a leader can be motivated as well by learning from them, by learning from their experience. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have an organization and you have different, um, different talents, you have to maximize the talents that they have. So it's, it's more like that. And then I have now uh, a tech for good. So basically using technology for sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. So that is what... I'm trying to learn now because the organization is uh, is a is a mix of innovation or technology and conservation. So we are actually merging the organization to be like that. So yeah, Solid. Solid. It's, it's quite it's quite heavy, but yeah. You know, it's it's really cool. But uh, speaking of innovation, technology, sustainability, <laughs> I want I want to talk about the conference we attended, uh, yeah. the Glo- Global Landscapes Forum conference. What, what were your feelings about it? Like I was, I was pretty nervous for it. I had never spoken in front of like 300 or 400, 500 people, but um, we, we didn't exactly have them in front of us. So what were your feelings about this event? I think it was, it was nerve wracking. I think I got nervous more on where to find internet. That was my nerve wracking moment ever. Uh-huh. Cause I don't know, like I need to make sure this works, you know, and you were pretty confident. Like, it doesn't show in your face that you were like freaking out like not freaking out but like mm-hmm. nervous i was nervous at the same time i couldn't answer you know all the answers i said i 
I don't remember them. You, you blacked out. I feel like <laughs> I, I blacked out. I don't know what I was saying. It's just because, you know, like, I felt because it was like a rushed, um, a rushed question and answer. So mm-hmm. I have to rush, rush, rush. And without even trying to pause and think and... Oh my God, it was nerve-wracking to answer those questions. Seriously, I wish it was like pre-recorded and I can just like answer them properly. Yeah, yeah it was... <laughs> I, was, I was not as worried perhaps because I knew the spontaneous stuff was like, I only had to do a little bit. I just had to moderate a little bit and then yeah. shift the questions over to Camille, you know? If anything complicated <laughs> would come up, I knew, I knew you'd be there to answer any scientific questions or mangrove questions that... Oh my God, some questions are like, I don't, I don't know. Seriously, I didn't go back to, to the recording. I just don't want to hear my voice. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'm so scared. And I, and I did mention, so when I, I saw the questions and I actually really answered them personally. So that I, I did well. I just, it just, it's nerve wracking to answer an on the spot question and answer, I think. I'm not so good at it. There's yeah. there's nothing like live TV or Yeah. Or oh my live god, if we podcasting. do it if we do it live, I'll be like I I don't know. I'll probably drink so <laughs> much coffee and like hyperventilating. You'll, you'll make it worse for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Have you talked to Justin? Like what did Yeah, you yeah. I, I've talked to Justin about it. He um I actually recorded a podcast with with him like a few uh, two weeks ago maybe, but Yeah. But um yeah, he, he felt fine about it. I mean, I think he didn't have to answer that many questions. I, I remember this this uh, one part. I guess we didn't include it in the documentary, but when we were slicing open the coconut, or we had just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was so fun. I think Evelyn just went there and like, you're not doing it correctly. Give me the machete, and yeah. Just, <laughs> just opened the coconut in front of Justin and like, oh my God. I thought he was going to cut his own fingers off with the machete. So it, it is quite scary. I learned it during the quarantine. And I was like, I, I want to learn how to open this coconut. Seriously, I don't know how. Uh-huh. And one of my good friends taught me how. And, you know, there's a proper way to do it. It, it takes a while because, you know, you guys, you, you have this, you know, muscles and just easily like slash it. And like, it's also gracefully open, you know, whereas I'm struggling trying to open it. It's like, oh my God, it's such a hand or like a like an arm workout. And yeah, basically Coconut, I, I was coconuts not... are hard objects, yeah. <laughs> so I was able to open it. So I think uh, you know, I, I learned my I, I was so happy during the quarantine just opening my the coconuts that So you were alone. you were just spending quarantine Practicing. online courses was... and hacking coconuts <laughs> with a machete. I was practicing two coconuts just to make it perfect and everyone was just like mid of the like 10 p.m. Everyone's like listening. Who's that person trying to do machete? Like <laughs> I was like practicing the coconut at that time because I, I wanted a coconut drink. So Okay, and and do most people carry machete in, in these areas? Like in the mangrove area, like the communities you've you've seen? Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are carrying all those like because they have to get um shells. Yeah, they don't. Of course, it's it's illegal to cut mangroves, but they take the shells, they get uh, food, so they need to have those machetes. But Evelyn has it. All the women community have it. So yeah, they they have those uh, machetes. So <laughs> so no, nobody's messing with the the girls out there. <laughs> no, no, they're pretty strong. Like they, they have machetes also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
they see me as a city girl. Imagine yeah. I'm already trying to be such a local, you know, very simple, and they still see me because I couldn't open a coconut and like, oh, you're such a city girl. Mm-hmm. So are you? So you you're kind of the city girl in the mangroves and the mangrove girl when you go to the city. Yeah, basically yes. I am. Um, they see me as a mangrove girl when I'm here. Like I'm, I you know, I'm dark, but now. Now, because I'm in home quarantine or like at home, I don't go out often also. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty much lighter, light version skin now. So yeah, okay. quite, I can accept it. <laughs> and Camille, before we jump to the really, really fun personality questions, I want mm-hmm. to get into the, I want to talk about environmental communication. Like is, is there anything that you think needs to be emphasized more in the way we communicate the environment, whether it's scientists or environmental communicators to, to yeah, the general think, public? Exactly. I think the most hard or the difficult or the challenging part basically is how scientists can communicate it to the public um, because the public needs to understand or use a very simple terms where scientists have this um, or we have this bubble of like knowing which words, right? So, you know, like, when I attended this conference, just a recent conference um, about marine conservation, it was all about ocean literacy. It's all about educating the public. And I think it's now basically growing on how we can educate the public through social media. And that's very uh, interesting part because there are some scientists, young scientists around the world that have social media that is working, you know, they are PhD students, master's students, and they have social media. And it was quite interesting, that's why, um, the Instagram that I actually had, Mangroves for Our Future, is actually a science communication because I work a lot with mangroves. And, you know, me being a scientist, I know the feeling of how can I really communicate it or this mangroves to the public in a very um, interesting way. So I think you can use social media right now, and that's what's happening all around the world. All the youth, all the students, they are now reaching out to the public and letting them understand the importance of it because you know scientists just understand the importance of it we only are the only ones understand like understanding it like for example i'll, I'll give you an example like mm-hmm. basically about corals corals are animals and no one knows that unless you are a science scientist mm-hmm. no one knows yeah. that if you're a coral pr- practitioner when i told this to the kids when i told this to communities they see it as a stone. They see it as a rock. Mm. So it's quite really interesting to to tell them that it is important. So it's now expanding. The, the science is now expanding to communicate it to the public. And it's very important right now because of you know climate change and how Greta, who's not even a scientist, was able to understand it and, and tell the whole world, you know, climate change is really an, an important uh, discussion we need to to address because of you know what's happening around the world so it's growing and I, I, I'm so excited to actually see it coming and um, I see the importance of it how we need to educate and make sure the community understands mm-hmm. the whole uh, the whole science the whole ocean how it feels to be near the water you know all how it is connected to them and not just the scientists themselves so it's it's pretty amazing yeah I, I'm I hope they I hope a lot of scientists all around the world, whether you're working on trees like me in mangroves, whether you're working on soil, whether you're working on insects, I really, really hope that they will go out and 
explore the idea of social media. I've seen scientists putting topics of um, marine science in TikTok. Mm. Basically, it's, it's really interesting. So all the Instagram, all the Twitter, all uh, the Facebook. So I think, I hope all the, the one who's listening right now will be able to explore that and share it to the public as much because we need the communities to learn about this. We need the, the public to learn about this. I've had um, friends, they actually told me they learned so much in my Insta stories. Yeah. Just told me like, Camille, is that crab big? Like, how big is that? I was like, that's just two inches. Like, how? why is that like a big pincer and all that? So, you know, you you can really impact And, and they're people. fascinated too. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't see that so much. And, and we're the only scientists to actually see that or appreciate it. And, you know, I, I love to share this, this uh, marine life with other people because I only learned that in my uh, education. Mm-hmm. You know, I want people to learn it more while they're young. So I think, yeah, sure. I don't know with you, like who, which which ecosystem are you actually like fascinated about? Like, I don't know. Oh, like, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, there, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, I'm not in much of a natural ecosystem. I'm yeah. in more, of, more of a city ecosystem. <laughs> but um, the, the closest ones nearby would be kind of mountainous forest, mountain forest, yeah. lake kind of complexes. And those, those are... Uh, the most interesting and accessible ones to me. So I, I get to explore those um, when I go hiking mostly yeah. out here in Germany. But before we go, go on, um, I wanted to ask you about your, your NGO that you're creating. Could you talk about the goals and what you're doing there? Yeah, so uh, just recently we registered an environmental organization. It's called Oceanus Conservation. And what really made me push to to make this organization is I want to give uh, benefit to the Filipino people by expanding um, conservation and innovation technology to make sure actually that these communities can be efficient in making their livelihood. Um, One example I would say is, you know, making seaweed culture be more efficient. How would you make sure that um, seaweed can be harvested at this time? Basically, you need some factors such as temperature, such as um, nutrients and all that to make sure, oh, when when is the perfect time for this? And I'm trying to make some, you know, merging technology and, and re- conservation. And another example will be um, identification of fish using AI, using camera. And it is really interesting. I've seen this. Uh, a lot of people are working towards that idea already because not all people are able to dive. So you can actually put those cameras to deploy underwater and they can survey the site and identify what fish is that. So we're basically giving, um, we're, we're building that that system we're in, conservation and technology is, is growing and I hope we can start it in our conversation, conservation. And so we can actually give policies or uh, we can, we can, sorry, we can engage policy makers to make some decision easily and, and all that so it's it's still growing and you know looking for fundings um, I'm working on that this few months actually and basically we're at the, at the side I'm doing some few storybooks for children to understand about different ecosystems so I'm working mm-hmm. on that silently <laughs> so you're busy so, you're very busy I am, I am. It's, there's so many 
things I'm doing actually. Like I'm pretty much like an octopus in having each arm having its own brain, you know? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> so many things, yeah. But pretty exciting. Um I do yeah. hope Philippines is very open to technology, I think. Mm. For this. So So my next question for this Filipina uh, Renaissance lady is, is, is about scuba diving. I know this is like a complete jump in topic, but yeah. this, is, this is our first personality question. You're, I think you're, you're a scuba instructor and a free diver, right? No, no I you're am not. A, so a scuba instructor is when you teach scuba diving. Yeah. I am, I'm just a rescue diver. Oh, I rescue okay. people. You rescue yeah. people. That's even better. Um, <laughs> So, so from from this uh, maybe rescue diving, have you learned any life life skills, uh, life lessons that you could share with us that might be applicable anywhere? Yeah, I think. Well, aside from the rescue, I also do the free diving um, mm-hmm. technique. But I I went to free diving because I just wanted to meditate underwater. The only way I can do that is to be really quiet without any air from the uh the the air source of being in a scuba so i did the free diving just to actually meditate <laughs> that's underwater underwater <laughs> yeah. wow <laughs> but it's not that long of course i had to stay like when my oxygen levels start to like i need oxygen i need oxygen i need to go up now but mm-hmm. maybe like few seconds like 10 seconds to be just really staying in 10 meters without air so just quiet and then the turtle passed by that was the beautiful moment wow. <laughs> when I did the free diving. Um, with the scuba, so when I had an accident back in 2018, I had an accident on motorbike, crashed into another transportation as well. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty much um, scary for me to actually not know some life skills or some CPR techniques or some, you know, I think that was a turning point where in, I pushed myself to be a rescue diver. I was just really an open water diver. There's so many levels in scuba. Yeah. So after open water, you are an advanced. After advanced, you have to do this um, emergency uh, CPR. So emergency first responder. You have to learn that, how to do CPR, um, chest compressions and all that. So when I did the rescue diver, I learned the technique on like looking for someone in case, in case someone gets lost underwater learning the proper questions, um, learning how to actually be calm because when panic really comes at you, your brain just blocks. Serious, this happens so many times. Like there's, you know, you you get to feel the people panicking. So you panic as well. And sometimes you get lost with the questions you want to ask to save the other person. And I think the most important skill is to actually be calm yourself. You have to be calm. And so you can ask and save the person. Because if you're not calm and you're not comfortable, they say like you can't you can't save the person. Mm-hmm. So you have to to look at yourself. It it might be selfish, but you have to to make sure you are comfortable in order to save another person. Or else if you're not comfortable and you're trying to save the other person, it might end up like both of you are not, you know, unsafe, something happens, yeah. right? Yeah, it's unsafe, exactly. So I think that was the most like life lesson, I think, to, to rescue a person. I, I got panic. How many times? Uh-huh. I cried. After the rescue scenario, I cried. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought I, I won't, you know, pass the test. Because yeah. it was, it was um, emotionally 
physically, mentally draining. Yeah, that is rescue <laughs> because so, of how people are. You know, you mm-hmm. you have there's a scenario. You have to do so many scenarios. So 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 how can you calm yourself down? Are there any like tricks, or is it just just be calm? Basically, just um, when someone is panicking, they always say like you have to breathe. Mm-hmm. Breathe, stop, breathe, and think, and then okay. you act. So. It's, it's basically a very simple statement, but when panic comes and people panicking in front of you, you really panic. Believe me, like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't you. stop and think. So that was the moment where, like, I if people want to actually have, you know, um, something happens to them, you have to breathe. And it yeah. happened to me underwater. I actually panicked underwater because of strong current, and yeah. I, and my friend told me like. It's amazing that you were able to signal to me that you are panicking because I had to to signal to my co-diver like stop, I'm hyperventilating, you oh, know, wow. because some people are are will not be able. There's so many gestures, so I was hyperventilating because the current was so strong and I'm feeling like I'll be pushed into the blue sea. That's what yeah. happened a few months ago. So. I we were in the blue sea trying to like hold each other and say like it's it's gonna be okay we're gonna go up we're gonna go up and the boat saw us very very far away but they they went to us of course but you know you have to be able to calm down and signal someone and say I'm not okay and it's okay it's okay yeah. to not be okay you know underwater it happens even though I was a rescue diver so. People, because of course, some people put pressure on themselves like, oh, I'm a scuba instructor, I'm a, I'm a rescue diver, I know this. Actually, no, sometimes there are things happening to you underwater that you won't expect. Mm-hmm. And you have to be admittedly saying like, I'm not okay, I need help. You know, so those are things like I think okay, I the, I think those are, those are great, great <laughs> life lessons though. Just stop, <laughs> breathe and think, and then also yeah. be able to ask for help. These. I think these yeah. can be applicable anywhere, to be honest. But have you like, di- like have you experienced diving? No, I, ha- diving? I haven't. I've swam as deep as I could before, but I've never, I've never um, done any scuba diving or free diving. You should um, come back to Philippines and let's do one dive. You know, after after that story of you drifting off into the ocean, <laughs> I am totally down to go, go free diving. It's it's di- like free diving is different. This is really really nice. I, I would say you would love it. You will really experience your ca- the body's capacity to expand the limits. I'm telling you, it's such a rush. I I did not expect my body will be able to hold two minutes and thirty seconds, or even almost three minutes. That's amazing underwater. So yeah. you you can push your body really hard. <laughs> All right. I- I'll I'll keep this offer in mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean I'm down when I get back over there. Yeah, we could try it out. The next yeah. question, Camille, I want you to name a role model of yours and explain the kind of impact this person had on you. I think I had okay. I think I I would say I have a lot of role mo- models, but I had to really think of this question because it's so hard to 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 see it. Um, it's basically a really difficult question for me, but I think I would say what what's the turning point for me to do what I do? I know it will be a cliche, but it will be the communities or the locals. Mm-hmm. 
the the kids that I worked with it's not it's not really like a role model but but basically how they impact me to do what I want to do so when I taught them all the marine life when I taught them all what I know I saw that they don't know I saw their faces light up and say like that's a new knowledge I saw my friends light up and say that you know I learned something new and I think the people that are surrounding me do not know what I know and I think those are basically the models of why I do what I do and just to give them education to give them awareness of what I learned and I couldn't name all the big names you know as my role mm-hmm. models but the one who impacts me the most are the communities I worked with and how I want them to learn what I learned um, how I want them to gain new knowledge I think I really am that person of sharing knowledge yeah and I th- yeah basically I don't know Yeah. You, who who is your role model in like Oh man, I have so many. Whatever you do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I don't know. I think it depends on what I'm doing, but I like this for a long time I've liked this comedian, uh Dave Chappelle. I maybe you've heard of him. He he is um somebody who's been doing something his own way for a very long time and and he like a reason why he's so famous is of course because of his show, but he also at one point was offered a huge amount of money um and he just he just turned it down because he didn't um want to kind of be influenced by all this money and and fame and when yeah. when this happened he kind of withdrew from the public eye and people speculated speculated but he he's been doing his own thing and um i respect him a lot for that i why, guess why is it like connected to you like Um he do you he, feel you're connected to him? I think I think in, in a way what he does. Yeah, I mean in a multitude of ways like he is um he grew up as a minority in the United States and there's there's a lot um lot of I guess shared cultural background with that. I, of course I'm not an African American but um there's definitely parts I can empathize with and he kind of in his comedy he he points out these weird things the funny parts of discrimination and and growing up like being a minority in america and then he's also somebody who who creates things and and does does things his own way and i i love his his um humor um i think humor is a really important part of life so i think so it makes everything light will that be like a a future will be good topic like you know growing up in not growing up but like the life in germany or... the life in germany maybe <laughs> or how does it feel to be asian in germany how does or... it feel yeah yeah i thought about um <laughs> writing about you know different different things like that um yeah it, it's i can definitely consider that or or i can have a lot of people just submit questions and then i can answer them as well oh i should submit question to you and like you can do this podcast yeah, yeah. and like Some people are asking me about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just Camille. She's got a lot <laughs> of questions. <laughs> it's basically the tables have turned and now it's Camille <laughs> interviewing Michael. Yeah, yeah, if you got questions, send them over. I I can um I'm so interested. Okay, interested? I'll think about that. <laughs> sure, sure. This this next question I have for you is uh one I've been asking recently. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? 
like a, an unusual habit that you might have or an absurd thing that you may love? Can you give an example? Can you yeah. give an example of yourself? <laughs> sure, sure. So I, I said this before, but I like to go to bed early. I, most people- It's not find, an absurd thing. Like, it's, I think it's quite absurd. There's a lot of people who make fun of me for it and call me grandpa, but, really? I, but it helps me, helps me get up early in the morning and I get to do a lot more in the morning. I feel like the last few hours of the day, I'd rather just spend asleep because I enjoy sleeping. I enjoy the, the feeling I have the next day when I feel well rested. I feel sharp. I can uh, do the exercise and things I want. I yeah. feel like I'm engaged in who I'm talking to. Um, yeah. So yeah. you're a morning person, not a night person. You're a yeah. You can think more at morning, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I can like wake up if I wanted to. I can wake up and just start running probably. Like wow. I'm, I'm crazy like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With me, I would say um, there's some things like, for example, when I really get anxious, let's say if we were in that GLF conference like live, mm -hmm. I have a thing wherein I scratch the sides of my nail, the, the, the skin. Okay. I do that. And it's crazy, and sometimes it bleeds. Uh -huh. Like I get so anxious. You know, some people bite their nails, right? But yeah. I'm the type where I get this excess skin in the side, and just, uh -huh. and then at some point, I don't know that it's already bleeding. That's how crazy it was. And yeah, so I think that's the like the worst. I, I really don't like that. I try to stop it. Uh -huh. But um, but you love it. Like no, like it, just, it feels good. It just. <laughs> No, it's not even like it's it hurts afterwards like oh my god it's bleeding you know it hurts i don't like it so um i think the one thing recently it's just recently that's been happening is like because i'm so used to the the silence where i work you know i've been in the mountain and, and with the nature and now i'm back in the city is every night i listen to a podcast and it's all just nature i i listen to a bird singing i listen to rain you know, just rain droplets. I listened to the waves and it just made me fall asleep. I think that's been like for since June. That has been my all the time um, go-to like so I can sleep. I don't have insomnia. It's just that I don't like the noise of the dogs, you know, the stray dogs, the sound of the cars. Mm -hmm. And so I sleep with a very quiet, want to sleep silently. Yeah, so I've been, I've been listening to this. It's been continuously doing, like I've been doing it really continuously and I think it's becoming my habit. So I love it though. I, I love the sound of the rain. And it's weird because I have this earphone that is very like noise cancelling. And mm -hmm. when it was raining, like not literally raining, but the rain in the earphone, the sound, I felt so cold. My body just shivers and I was like, oh my God, how the, the mind just connected to your body of like yeah, shivering <laughs> it's quite weird yeah but like those are kind of like the things i think this next question i think we can make this our last uh question but if i gave you 500 euros or the local equivalent in local currency for you what would you spend it on you'll be shocked what i'm doing right now so during the you know the whole pandemic thing and i got really lost on what i want to do my partner Alfredo was telling me like, you know, try to open your mind, try to meditate or try to, how do you call that? Like attract positivity and what you want to do, what you want mm -hmm. and need. So I basically wrote it down and it's exactly this 
currency, well, not like the price. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it down and I said, I want a DJI Osmo gimbal pocket video thing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same price, but there's so many in the list. Like, I want a tablet. I want like, it's, it's very techy stuff. I'm so into the techy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, with the DJI Osmo, okay, it's not an ad, but I want to use it when I do when I go for adventure, and it's very yeah. easy to. It's a handheld one, so it's a good one. Very too. easy to to go around and take videos, and you know, again, I want to educate people, so I was basically thinking to even get my own YouTube or make a podcast. I don't know. I was thinking about it, but I'm I'm still so shy in the camera, so I think I you're fine like, though. You're. Maybe you feel shy inside, but it doesn't come off like when you're on camera. I, I laugh. My my nervous is the laugh, like what we're doing actually now. Like when I laugh so much, it's, it's my nervousness like coming out. Um, but yeah, so those are actually th- those techie stuff. I mean, like, what about you? Like, is it like you are into working from home? Is it yeah. not this techie stuff? If you know if what, you if you gave me five hundred euros, I think I would. I would either buy some camera equipment, like maybe it's not enough for a lens that I want, but maybe I would put put it towards that, or I would get one of those massage pistols that I've been seeing. Like they're so yeah, I saw they're that. so popular now, but I know athletes use them, and then for regular people, yeah. it's it's good if you have sore muscles. I saw I know that before because like I think it was a thing. You know, I I used to play volleyball, and mm-hmm. there were some. You know, we put tapes around the muscle just to like cool it. Yeah. But then I saw this, it wasn't that like long ago, but I saw that, that ad of like muscle and I was thinking like, what is that for? Like, but <laughs> it, it also looks cool. It looks cool, but it also really targets the muscle like deep within the layers, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I, I would love to get it, but I don't know, like, is it worth 500 euros? I don't, I hope not. That's, that's a lot to be spending on something yeah, like that, but um, okay. True. So it's maybe, maybe I get that and, and like a, a, a massage, not a massage chair, but maybe something you put on a chair and it'll give you a massage. Uh, Camila, you are totally interesting and awesome. Where, where can we send people to learn more about you or what you do? Where would you want people to go? Okay, so I co-founded this organization. So if people want to know more about what we do in the next few months, in the next year, it will be oceanusconservation.org. And then I also have a scientific communication Instagram and it's called Mangroves for Our Future. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I, I focus a lot on mangroves and communities and we're branching a lot because for the organ- environmental organization we made, it's all about coastal ecosystems and it could be corals and it could be seagrass. So yeah, so any activities and and we're putting out in next few months storybooks. So I think I would love to share it with you guys soon. It's all about mangroves and, sure. and corals, uh, coral reefs, ecosystems. So if you have anyone that wants to learn and or friends who have like kids and nephews uh please i i do want your you know your feedback and and you know donation for like the organization that we can continue this endeavor and the advocacy because i every purchase will be um part of the purchase will go to a local kid the local kid will also receive the same exact book that you will receive but you will only receive it in a digital copy though because of course Mm -hmm. if they are from outside or you know it's hard and 
but we are going to print it for the local kids and to share um, these stories about mangroves and the coral reefs. So it's, it's all about education and I want the local kids, the main goal is for the local kids to understand this ecosystems that we have. So yeah, I want you to wash that out. And yeah, wh what about you? Like what's your, you know? What's, what's my where, plug? Of course, it's, it's everyone knows about Wobby's dude now. Oh so. yeah, it's we're super, <laughs> we're super famous now. So we really don't need a plug, but um, yeah, I mean, if you want to learn about Voba's Dude, just go to vobasdude.com. Um, we also have an Instagram page. And if you're curious about like the videography things I do, I have a other website called michaeldoomedia.com. And there's also an Instagram page for that. I think that's that's about it for us, like all the time we got here today. So thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you want to hear more, um, you can find this podcast on any podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating as well. We very much appreciate it and share it with your friends. Thank you very much for coming by. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye.